it's the same thing with business. Like you get a job, maybe you start freelance and get some clients on the side. And then from there, you start to build out your agency if you want. You can start to build out products if you want as well. You can keep leveling up to the point where you go build like a networks effects business or like a SpaceX, but you can take it as far as you want. You just got to keep leveling up. You don't deserve to get to the next level until you beat this one. Welcome to the Future Podcast, a show that explores the interesting overlap between creativity, business, and personal development. I'm Greg Gunn. Have you ever heard of the Game of Life? It's a multiplayer board game that was invented by Milton Bradley in the 19th century. And the idea is to simulate a person going through all of their life experiences, school, college, marriage, jobs, and so on. And you, the player, get to decide what they do along the way. Now, the reason I ask is because today's guest lives his life as if it were a game, and it's no surprise that he's a big gamer. But he's also an incredibly successful marketer and businessman. He runs a marketing agency, a software company, and is the host of two podcasts that frankly put our download numbers to shame. And the secret to his success? Gamification. Applying the concepts of leveling up to yourself and your business. You see, everyone starts as a level one, but how far you go in the game is up to you. I wonder what level Elon Musk is. It's got to be like 9,000 something. In this episode, he and Chris go deep into marketing tactics, from targeted ad buys to good old SEO and everything in between. And most importantly for you, my dear listener, they talk about what you can do with your creativity and how to take it and apply it to marketing. So fire up your console or PC of choice, and please enjoy our conversation with Eric Sue. So this one's kind of a little unusual and a little different because I've already been on your show and know a little bit about you. But Eric, for people who don't know who you are, can you quickly introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Eric Sue, just a just an average guy uh, in the, the I kind of. You know, the, the, the areas I operate in are all around marketing. So I have a podcast called Marketing School. I'm kind of like, like I'm like the Christo, but for Asians. Uh, or <laughs> wait, mar- wait, wait, wait. Christo <laughs> for marketing. I, I'm an Asian. We're both Asian. Right? We're both like Asian. Yeah, we're both Asian. Yeah. But um, yeah, I've got, I got, I've got a podcast called Marketing School. Other one's called Leveling Up. And then a couple businesses, software company and uh, ad agency. It's all tied to marketing. I just invest in marketing companies. So I just like all things marketing. Okay. I'm I'm trying to figure you out because I'm, I'm going through your LinkedIn page and there's a lot there to kind of just wade through. You're involved with, as far as I can tell, at least two podcasts, right? Leveling Up and uh, Marketing School. That's correct. Okay. So that's that part. Then there's like several companies that you're either the CEO of, founder or something. So help us kind of understand your financial, <laughs> your, <laughs> your business yeah. empire, if you will. I think the easiest way to understand this, and I was talking to my business coach yesterday, and he actually helped uh, clear this up quite a bit. Okay. And, you know, at the end of the day, if I were to say, okay, the umbrella, this this uh, spaceship organization is, it's basically saying, you know, m- my job is to uh, level up marketing businesses, right? We're just buying or building marketing businesses. So I have an operator that runs the agency, Single Grain, 
Uh, and then I have an operator that runs uh, the software company called ClickFlow. And then uh, beyond that, um, my my focus right now is really just on uh, creating content and doing deals. So, you know, looking for other companies I can buy and then plug them into the ecosystem because the idea here is that as our audiences continue to grow, um, we'll be able to serve the audience and audiences in these different ways. Mm-hmm. Do you own Single Grain or you run it as a CEO? Uh, I own Single Grain. You do. And did it? Did you start this company? Okay, so there, this, there's a story behind it. And yes. I guess um, this would definitely be an inflection point in my life. So <laughs> um, Single Grain, I took over the business in 2014 and it was a failing uh, SEO agency. And um, at the time, there were four other partners. Um, actually, my podcast co-host, Neil, was one of the partners as well. So because the company was basically insolvent, uh, Neil actually, as a, as a good friend, he pulled me aside and said, hey, you know what? I, I think it might be time to go find another job because this thing's worth nothing right now. There's no brand equity. There's nothing. And then uh, me being naive, I said, hey, why don't I just do it on my own? And so um, I basically, this is my first M&A deal. I'm air quoting right now because I had no idea mm-hmm. what I was doing. So I told I said, hey, Neil, I'll buy your share for $1 for 10% of the company and another dollar for the other partners. And then the, the rest was through, I'm gonna pay, I was going to pay through the profits of the company. And I put in the contingency that if the company failed, I would owe nothing. And so they, they took the deal and then I actually tanked the company even more <laughs> the first year I took it over. So I'm happy okay. to go into that more, but that's what happened. Wow. Okay. This is complicated. So you were working at this company and then it was insolvent and you, instead of running for the hills, as Neil had advised you to do, you actually doubled down and you said, look, here's a great idea. It's a failing company and I'll run it better. And you actually yeah. ran it worse for a year until yep. until you figured it out. Okay. A lot of things to understand here. So before we get into all that stuff, because it's like, I'm thinking you still look like a relatively young person and I'm looking at your resume it's in terms so, so of your educational. Well, <laughs> you know, looks can be <laughs> deceiving sometimes, right? Uh, but here I'm, I'm digging through your, your LinkedIn profile. I see that you, you went to UCSD, right? And mm-hmm. you studied economics and history. I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. it's kind of a little different than what you're doing today. And then I think you did uh, some program at MIT, uh, an entrepreneur's organization master program for two Mm -hmm. years. Is that right? Yeah, that's supposed to go for three years. So this year we're paused, but I'll have two more years after. So Okay, so you're still going through that. Yeah. So that tells me something. That tells me you're still a relatively young guy. Do you mind me asking how old you are? Uh, I'm 34. Okay, still very young in my opinion. 34. Okay. So 34-year-old guy, and, and uh, in 2014, I'm going to do the math here, that's uh, six years ago, so you were, what, thir- uh, 28? Yep. Okay, so you're 28, and you decide, I'm just going to I'm gonna buy this company. What were you thinking? You know, so that's a really good question, and the way I was thinking at the time was, if the company failed, it would be a valuable learning experience, and if the company worked out, so it's asymmetric uh, upside for me. If uh-huh. it worked out, I would basically be able to take the cash flows um, to reinvest it into other areas that I thought had more durable revenue sources or more exponential revenue sources. Because as a services business, you're kind of, you know, it's it's very linear growth. And so for me, coming from SaaS, I'm used to exponential. Um, and so that was the thesis. And thank God the thesis worked out because, you know, I was thinking from an investment standpoint, um, you know, and I recommend this book, but this book called Dundo Investor, but you know, heads I win, tails I don't lose much. That's how I was thinking right. about it. Okay, so you're you're using a lot of terminology by creative community might not totally understand. Yeah. So when Eric's talking about asymmetry, he's talking about low risk 
and very high reward. He built very smartly, and this is probably your business acumen and prowess at play here, where it's like, if it tanks, I don't owe you jack. If it works out, then it works out for everybody. I'm happy to pay you at that point, and you have the capital to do this. But I'm just thinking, like, yep. I don't remember what I was doing when I was 28, but like, how, how much money do you have to actually say, you know, I can bankroll this operation? Yeah, so it was... Um... So thankfully, even though the, the company was doing poorly, we still had cash flows coming in. It's just I we see. were churning customers left and right because um, the, the the SEO work that we we're doing became invalid due to the Google algorithm. So mm -hmm. um, we had to find a way to turn the ship around by doing something else. I see. Okay, so there's cash flow. And when you say churn, again, a term maybe some of our audience might understand is just you're, you're acquiring and losing customers on a re really fast rate. The churn rate, yep. and generally speaking, in the service industry, you want it to be as low as possible. You want long yep. client retention. Okay, so there's money coming in. You're going to assume that. And if it went sideways and you went really kind of into the red, did you have a backup plan on how you would pay this off? Yeah, so I would, I mean, the debt, um, if the company failed, the mm -hmm. the the amount that I'd owed to the other people um, was nothing. Right. And so I would just let the company fail and then I would be um, free basically. And I always knew I could go back. My fallback would be, because at the time, by the way, as I was failing, um, I did get a job offer that was like, oh, we'll pay you we'll pay you a million a year and we'll give you a bunch of bonuses, right? I, I verbally wow. said yes to that. This was right in the middle of it. And I was like, and then the day after I said yes, I was like, I can't do this. It's something that doesn't feel right to me. I can't do this. So then I, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick it through, and that's what happened. What kind Smarter of job is? A, okay, what kind of job does a 28 year old person get that's offering them a million dollars a year? That's a, that's a hard job offer to walk away from. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what. I think, mm -hmm. um, and I'll, I'll talk. I'll, I'll try to make this more practical for everyone too, because mm -hmm. I think anyone can do it as long as you know. I'm, I'm saying that, but. If you look at my background, um, going all the way to, I almost dropped out of high school and I almost dropped out of college too, because all I did was play World of Warcraft and like okay. go to go to the poker room. So um, this was a this was a VP of marketing job um, at one company, and their their initiative because their initiative was was in this online education thing, and my background was in online education. So they really wanted to pursue me for that, um, and that's why they're willing to offer the big bucks. Okay, so if it doesn't work out for either one of us, uh, you'll have to connect me later on <laughs> so I can oh, have a, you, you a million have, dollar a year. You already mm -hmm. have the Brad. I mean, I think that's the playbook, right? It's, yeah. You know, everyone in Silicon Valley now is talking about this one man media co company concept. And it's just basically, you know, you're you're building the leverage uh, from media, right? Like you're doing all this content. People know you for that. Um, and so I think, you know, as long as you do that, it's going to take you time to get there. And I'm sure you talk about this. Um, you should have that defensible moat around you. Mm hmm. Okay. So a couple other things I got to say, because at the jump, you said you, I'm Asian just like you. So uh, if I'm going to peg you and put you into a little box here, uh, you're going to be somewhat conservative, risk averse. Uh, you want to just <laughs> show up, do the job. So you don't sound like a typical person who fits in that box. This is super risky. The walking away from a million dollar secure job offer would make my dad faint. It would be too much for his heart to take. So mm -hmm. what what is it about your DNA, how you grew up, that you, you just say to yourself in this moment when you're kind of looking down the barrel and you say, that might be fun. Let me just go down that direction. Yeah. Well, there, I think there's a couple of things to unpack there. So, yes, you're right. I think our conservative parents would be like, what are you thinking? You, you want to go for the safe route. But you, when you think about it, it's like, is it really the safer route? Because um, what could happen to that company? And actually what I predicted was correct. The person that ended up taking my job ended up, uh, I think he was forced out. And then what oh. happened was that company ended up, um, if you look at their glass door, I'm not going to name the company, it's, yeah. it, it basically tanked. 
Um, I see. So I could feel that there was something off as well. So I, I made that the bet to not take that job. I so. see. So you were talking about the job offer you were turning away, the million dollar job offer. Something yeah. didn't sit right in your gut. Do yeah. you remember what it was that kind of sent signals to your brain like, you know, the money sounds really good, but something about what was that something? Put your finger on that if you can. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, the, the late Tony Shea said culture is the number one thing. And I think um, I actually was listening to a podcast with the CEO of Cisco and he's like, yeah, culture is top. And people pay a lot of lip service to that. But when I walked into the company, I did a two day interview. So they put me through the grinder for the entire day for two days. And I, was just, I just could tell I was like, I don't think people are too happy here. Um, and I could just feel there was a lack of energy talking to all these people. So that to me was just wrong. And so mm -hmm. I can't. It's a gut feeling type of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I was checking out your site recently, and you you're talking about the things that you learned from Tony Shea. So when I when I listened to it, I'm like, oh, there's there's some crossover here because I really admire Tony and what he's done or what he tried to do. So it was a tragic yeah. thing for all of us to find out. Uh, I was tearing up, and I, I don't tear up towards strangers. But uh, my 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 interaction with Tony was, was this. I ran into a person. He says, Chris, you need to read this book. It's going to change your life. And as the person I looked up to, he's a business person. I'm like, that's hyperbolic, isn't it? A book is going to change my life. So I don't mm -hmm. read it. Okay. And another person uh, who's working with me at that time said, hey, Chris, there's this guy, Tony Shea, Delivering Happiness. He's, going, he's on a book tour. I have an extra ticket. Do you want to go to this? And that's when I'm like, hey, the universe is telling me something right now. When two random people who don't know each other tell me I need to read this book, I read the book. It does change my life. It changes my company and the, the entire trajectory of what it is that we do. And I actually got to see him in a very intimate revenue oh, at venue prior to him selling to Amazon. And so he was he was a wonderful kind of down to earth, very almost monotone in his delivery. It's just like this is kind of how I see the world kind of unaffected. And so that's how it impacted me. What did Tony do for you on a personal level besides what you already talked about on your podcast? Uh, I think for me, I guess internally, it's just looking at um, because, you know, I'm, I'm Asian American and I'm looking and, you know, we're, we're, we're Asian. Right? So there's not a lot of us that are, quote unquote, successful entrepreneurs. And so t at least to me, he gave me a lot of confidence at that age because I was about 23 years old or 24 when I listened to Delivery Happiness um, and he he gave me that confidence that, man, if I just put the effort in, I'll probably be able to do something um, amazing on my own in my own right. Um, and I, I think that went a long way. And I think a lot of the things that he said, um, you know, around, hey, you know, this is specifically what I did around culture. Also read this book, Tribal Leadership, right? It's just the and I mentioned in the video, he's so generous to the point that he bought the rights to that book and gave it away to everyone. Like, who does that? There's no financial upside to him to do that. So I think the selflessness was also very important for me to understand. Mm -hmm. I know that you speak a lot because I am looking at your resume. You're you're everywhere. Was there a moment when you actually got to meet Tony or cross paths uh, in real life? No, the only time I got to cross paths um, was when I we were both at this um, this uh, conference at sea called Summit at Sea, and then I saw mm -hmm. him from afar, and I didn't realize till later it was him. Um, but aside from that, nothing even close. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's get into this book that you you wrote uh, called Leveling Up and you're applying some some of your passion and love for games and trying to map that to life. Like what are the what's the big idea of this book and why did you feel like you needed to write it? Yeah. So I think one of the most important things if I if I'm thinking back to, um, you know, me in as a teenager or in college is it's ultimately comes down to the right habits. Yes, you got education first, but you got to have the right habits. 
Um, and most, look, over 3 billion people in the in the world have played games. Um, there is a big, there's a big connection. When you think about life as a game, it becomes a lot easier, right? So, you know, it, in, in the book, I basically talk about these different power-ups to acquire, right? We talk about, um, we talk about, you know, resilience, teamwork, all these things, but you make the connection between gaming. So I'll, I'll share an anecdote around gaming and mm -hmm. then it connects directly with something from business and then there's something to do afterwards. So for me, at least, if I had the understanding that all the things I was doing uh, growing up, all the time I spent playing these MMOs, these first person shooters, even though my parents told me it's a waste of time, um, that actually was what helped me gain the confidence I needed, right? We're talking again, resilience, consistency, communication, all that stuff. And um, if I had just known that earlier and then understood that gaming is a gateway to real life, just like sports is, um, then I probably would have been even more confident. And I think that's super necessary for people. Mm, okay. I, I'm, I'm a gamer. I grew up playing games and I love video games. Unfortunately, I don't have as much time to play in these days as I used to. And I, there are a lot of wonderful things about it. And I've read research papers about uh, in terms of like uh, it hitting certain parts of your brain, some cognitive development, understanding worlds, uh, understanding and adapting to constant change. Uh, because I think I don't know exactly when it happened, but there was this wonderful transition from when you need to you needed to read books or instruction manuals to play a game, and then to the games teaching you the rules as you go without you even really learning uh, that these are the rules. They would slowly unlock levels and abilities, and so yep. it wasn't too much at once. And so if you have to read instructions today for a game, it just means it's really poorly designed. But mm -hmm. there's something really wonderful about it. There's also something on the dark side, a little addictive and antisocial, um, especially if it's not a an online game where you can actually interact with other people. And yeah. so help me as a gamer or maybe as a parent of a gamer to extol some of the benefits and, and map some of them out for us in terms of like what you see the correlations are. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I think, A, I agree with you. I think uh, anything, if you do it, if you go overboard, it's too much, right? So even if you play sports, you're gonna injure yourself if you go too much. Right. Um, so everything in moderation. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, when I think about, um, we we'll use EverQuest as an example. So this was the okay. precursor to World of Warcraft. Um, okay. So I spent a lot of time there, and um, I there's this tournament called the Best of the Best. So you get to compete with the best people in your class. Let's say, you know, Chris, you're a warrior. I'm a warrior. We're gonna yeah. fight for this title, right? And then okay. you can be Chris the warrior at the end. Um, I was creamed in the preliminaries, right? And uh, by the way, let me just, I don't want to go too deep into it, but let's say, Chris, you're level 60, I was level 55. You're the highest level. You have an advantage over me. Mm -hmm. um, that's why I got destroyed. My, I had an equipment disadvantage, a strength disadvantage. But what I did was I got lucky with the seating. So I got to copy one of our rivals um, and I just copied her tactics and I just did it better than her, right? And that, and then I actually beat her very barely and then I, then I beat everyone else, right? That to me is... You know, Steve Jobs says something about uh, everything's a remix, right? Everything is a remix. There's not a lot that's really new. And then even a lot of these investors, like, you should be cloning all the time, right? And I realized at that moment, I was like, man, I don't need to be original. <laughs> I can just copy right there. And that lesson has stuck to me. It's not saying I copy a lot, but I'm saying, you know, there's a lot of inspiration, a lot of iterations in business um, that, you know, we're all just working on. We're building on the, on the shoulders of titans. That's one example right there. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I think another example is around learning when, when you gamify things or even with working out like this bike back here, when, you know, my friends and I, we compete all the time. My friends are like, they'll look at my stats. Why are you so weak today? Right. You know, blah, blah, right. blah. It's, it's like, 
there's that competition to gamification. When you're educating people and you're adding games around it, it becomes more fun. And so that's how this is probably the biggest thing I would say, Chris, and I'm, let me know if I'm rambling here. It's it's the same thing with business. Like, you know, you start off with uh, you got to build the right habits and then you get a job. Maybe you start freelancing, get some clients on the side. And then from there, you start to build out your agency if you want. You can start to build out products if you want as well. You can keep leveling up to the point where you go build like a networks effects business or like a SpaceX. But you can take it as far as you want. You just got to keep leveling up. You don't deserve to get to the next level until you beat this one. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'd like to spend a little time talking about this thing of, in terms of adapting an opponent's strategy or tactics and then seeing where you can improve upon it. And it sounded to me like you just needed to tweak it just a little bit. You didn't need to start over. You didn't need to go through rounds of trial and error and losing. So you saw something and then that was a signal to you that in the real world, it's kind of like that too, where uh, is Facebook original? I don't think so. Facebook just did what MySpace did a little bit better and cleaned it up. And then mm -hmm. MySpace did what Friendster did, but just a little bit better and changed it for, for artists and musicians. And so we're going through these cycles, right? So mm -hmm. the people who can then refine it to a point in which it, like all the little parts that weren't working are gone, then they, they're probably going to have a winner on their hands if they stick with it. And so that's what yep. you're talking about, right? In terms of copying, because it's, it's a charged word and I want to make sure people understand that. Yeah. And by the way, that's a really good point. I think um, cloning or copying sounds chart. It, it definitely does sound charged and human beings, I think, are very adverse to that. But yeah. then you realize that's really what's going on in the background. It quite. is. Yeah. Well, there's the truth and there's our perception of what we want it to be true. Yeah. And the truth is people have for forever uh, copied the behaviors and acts of other people. It's how we're here. It's why yeah. we're not still rubbing two sticks of wood together because we're like, oh, we saw that and we, we improvise and we change it a little bit. And through that, that's how progress is made. But especially for creative people, that word just, it's like a shock to the system because it suggests the lack of original thinking. It suggests laziness and just trying to take shortcuts, which most of us aren't there for. But there's like the expression goes, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. You don't need to make a YouTube if YouTube is really good. And if you see, I think, an area for improvement, which maybe Vimeo saw, and they're not, they don't have the same success, not even close, but they're like, we'll, we'll create higher quality compression ratios, but nobody will be able to find a video. And by the way, they still do well. So I don't know how that's possible, but I, yeah. I, I'll take your word for it, right? Because I'm well, like frustrated. We're talking hundreds of millions. And so I, really? I was just as surprised as you were. But anyway. Yeah. Okay. So we digress there, right? Yep. Okay. So now in, in terms of like your business right now, you, you described two companies, at least two companies I can understand and two podcasts. One company is a service. You, you, you reference as an agency where you do digital marketing for clients and you come up with strategy and creative and you do production and you, you, you take it end to end, right? Mm -hmm. So for people who don't understand like, what do you mean digital marketing? Like, what the heck? So in layman's terms, please describe to us, what what is it that you do at this agency? Yeah, so this agency, I, I'm, I'm going to assume that your audience understands what des design agencies do. So I'm just going to compare it in that context. Yeah, um, so, you know, you go to Chris, uh, Chris used to have a design agency, right? You, you still do maybe. Um, so kind of so you want to you love chris you, you follow his stuff and it's like hey he knows what he's talking about when it comes to design i want his company to help me right so the same idea here with my podcast with my audiences um they come to me for help with marketing more around running their ads whether it's facebook amazon ads or doing seo work which is more what i've known for but actually to give you an example um 
you want an example of how this copying thing actually plays into this, this sure, business? Sure, that'd be great. Okay. So when I took over um, single grain, again, earlier I was mentioning how um, you know the, ex the, the revenues are linear, meaning that every time I close a new client, I'm going to have to think about adding new people, right? right. Versus software, you, know, you grow and not, not so much. So I looked at another company that was an agency, and I have a friend that has an agency. They only have uh, 25 people, and they do $25 million a year. So the wow. revenue per employee is very high. Usually with yeah. agencies, it's 100 to 200 grand. So right. I was like, okay. Why don't I just take that business model, apply it for our agency, because our agency focuses more on software or big tech, um, and just focus on those types of companies with that model. And that's just a remix right there. Nobody else is doing that. Mm -hmm. So you have a friend who's doing really well. So you're like, let me understand the structure of this and then take that same structure, but apply it to your specific niche, your market or your, your services. Totally Correct. makes sense to me. Okay. But when, okay, so you said you primarily help people with SEO, which is what you're known for. So SEO search engine optimization is how Google finds you, right? Is that what we're talking about mostly? Yeah. So I would say 20% uh, of our revenue is SEO. Now 80% mm -hmm. is paid media. Yeah. Okay. So paid media is the kind of stuff that, uh, especially right now in this time with Black Friday, you're noticing a lot of things following you around and ads targeting you. You're like, how do they know I like that? It's mm -hmm. probably somebody from Eric's company or somebody like that. Yep. Who's like, okay, there's a cookie. We see that you like this and we want to make sure we serve relevant content to people who are interested. And so you're running these campaigns for your clients, right? Yep. Okay. So is it mostly Facebook and Instagram? It's mostly Facebook, Google. There's a good chunk of okay. Amazon. And then sometimes mm -hmm. we'll try like these other platforms like Pinterest. Well, tell me how Amazon works. What is, I, I didn't know that Amazon was marketing to me like that. Same I mean, thing? Amazon's their their ad business is growing very quickly. Um, it's but it's very simple. It's it's basically uh, you can select. It's like the old days of Google Ads where you put in mm -hmm. a keyword and then they'll just show you for like relevant keywords. Um, right. it's as simple as that. Their ad platform is not super sophisticated, mm -hmm. but it's I think it's number three or number four right now. Wow. And knowing Bezos, it'll be number one pretty soon. Yeah. So when I'm on Amazon and I see something I'm searching for and like this is promoted, that's what's happening. Somebody Correct. has targeted that keyword search term and then they want to put that up and they'll pay pennies per views or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. if it's video or if it's a click, whatever. Okay, so t typically speaking, like, what is the sweet spot for you in terms of the clients that you serve that you're, you're buying ads for? Yeah, um, I'll have to check if my the, the, if they've put together like a new ideal client profile. But last mm -hmm. I checked, it's uh, we primarily focus on like the... The big tech would be like the Ubers, the Amazons of the world. And then we focus on a lot of uh, software companies. Ideally, they've raised over $10 million or they're doing over $10 million a year. And they're spending at least uh, $30,000 a month. Is that your minimum threshold? Yep. Okay. So they have to be willing to spend about $30,000 a month in ads. So are you advertising an app or to log in or register to a software? Is that the idea? Uh, yeah, basically. So uh, one one client as an example, they're big in the streaming world. And so we're just doing free trials for them. And then mm -hmm. in other cases, we actually have a client that sells uh, healthy food and that goes directly to just the product pages. I see. And as the person who's running these campaigns, are you held accountable to the kinds of metrics that they would consider successful? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think I'm trying to make this helpful for people looking to start a design shop as well, because mm -hmm. I the reason why I hate traditional agency models is because the incentives are misaligned, meaning that they'll pay us, you know, uh, let's say five thousand dollars a month. We run the ads. We are held accountable to 
metrics, at the end of the day, we're not, we're not, uh, we don't have any skin in the game, right? And so if we fail, we don't have any liability and they're just like, okay, screw you, the relationship ends. Um, and our, our uh, revenue potential is capped. Now, if I'm Chris and I say, hey, by the way, for my designs, and it's probably harder to do it this way, but um, if my designs help you perform, I want a bonus right here. So if it makes right. you, you know, 100, 100% uh, I want 20% of that, right? It's a lot easier when it comes to marketing, not so much for design, but that that's, you probably know more than I do. Yeah, so you're doing something and I, I one of my former tenants, um, they, this is their business model. They run Facebook ads. That's pretty much what they do. And they, they could not hire enough people fast enough because mm -hmm. their performance was tied to how well the conversions worked. And they basically sold on the premise of conversions. You have a yeah. product. If we believe in the product, we'll take it on and we'll figure it out. We'll do as much work as necessary until it starts converting better than what you're converting at now. And they get a percentage of the improvements. And so we're talking about accountability. I mean, you're, you're putting everything on the line there. So you, you have something similar, right? So you, do you have like a baseline where they have to pay you and whatever you perform above, you get yeah. a percentage of? Yeah. You know what? Um, so I think one thing that uh, designers could do, so I'll, I'll give you the structure, but also um, designers can be doing conversion rate optimization, meaning they'll design landing pages that convert better. And I know a company in Atlanta, what they do is they'll say, Hey, whatever baseline you're at, that's fine. Right. Um, but over the next 12 months, we want 25% upside for whatever we do. I don't care where you're running ads or whatever. We're basing it, we're basing it on conversion rates, right? So that way you're aligned. In yeah. terms of our structure, um, you could very, the riskiest thing to do is you say, hey, I'm going to front the ad spend. So you could be tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands a month before you yeah. even get paid. That's the riskiest part. But what you could do is say, hey, you know what? Chris, um, why don't we do this a little bit at a time? Why don't you pay us 10 grand up front? We'll run the ads for a week. If you like how it goes, um, we'll continue on. And then obviously we're going to kick you back the money each week. But that way you're front, you're giving an advance. And so we both have some skin in the game and it's yeah. not as risky. Yeah. The, I, I think I, might, I may not have described what the other company, my tenants were doing uh, correctly. They don't front any of the ad money. They front all the yeah. creative fees. So they say, basically, we don't charge you any creative fees. We're only going to take a percentage of increased ah. conversions. So if your baseline is 10% and it goes to 15%, they're basically going to take a percentage of the five, the difference, which is 5%. Got so, it. And it's I had asked... Yeah, it's creative work. They, they run the videos, they write, and they produce the content, and they do whatever they need to do. So sometimes they're testing 30 different ad sets a day for one yeah. client, and it's nuts, like the kind of production they go through. Very different business model, but I admire it because you could totally see them scaling, and they were growing like crazy. Okay. Skin in the game. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's wonderful. And it's something that I think a lot of creative people are overlooking in terms of an avenue on how to apply their creativity. More often than not, we kind of put our energies towards something we make and then it goes away. But the problem with that is that asset rarely ever generates more money for us after it's delivered. Once it's delivered, your earning potential is gone, right? Yep. And you have a much smarter business model. I don't need to tell you that. You already know that. So hopefully we're going to get some people who are interested in this. So you, I, I was just checking with your marketing school podcast. How many episodes are you up to? Because I was like, oh my God. Jeez, I, well, let's, let's it's like do over four hundred, right? Well, I think we're over uh, two thousand. Two thousand? Oh no, sorry, sorry, probably over fifteen hundred. Yeah, there's a lot of episodes. Now they're much shorter. They're yeah. about ten minutes or so, uh, and so maybe that's part of the strategy too. Maybe we'll talk about that in a second. So, yeah. you've been doing this for a long time, and and now, now before I know who you were, I recognize the name Neil Patel. 
I don't know how I know him, but his name's out there in the universe. So <laughs> yeah. for a period of time, Neil was uh, an owner of Single Grain because mm-hmm. you bought him out for a dollar, right? Yeah. And he's is he still involved with Single Grain or not anymore? He's not. You know, actually, so here's talking about um, I, I'm not going to say he copied me. He actually um, he saw the revival of Single Grain and he mm-hmm. actually um, he won't mind me revealing this, but he actually offered me to be the CEO of his new agency that was that he's starting. He yeah. started three years ago, um, and it's actually very large now. Um, and we'll just leave it at that. Hundreds of employees, offices around the world, and all that. So um, he is not involved, but he saw what happened. And he's, he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna go back and do it again." And he made it happen. So time for a quick break, but we'll be right back with more from Eric. Welcome back to our conversation with Eric Sue. So I'm listening to this right now and I'm looking around myself as a designer listening to this podcast. I'm thinking, uh, I don't have that kind of success. Uh, what do I need to know to be a player in this marketing game? What do I need to know? What are core skills or things I need to just know? Like, yeah, if I know this, then I have a shot at making it in this world. What do I need to know, Eric? Yeah. So I'm going to broaden it to the spectrum of, of business. I think, you know, uh, obviously there's a lot of traits and I put those into the book as well, but we're talking about someone that has a growth mindset and a beginner's mindset. And I'm sure everyone or most people know of that here. Um, I would say, you know, for marketing, I, as a marketer, most of your experiments that you run are going to fail, right? So you, let's say you run an AB test, you tried all these different things. Um, you're lucky if eight to 10% of them work out. So you become numb to failure. And I think, um, the reason why it's worked out for people like Neil and other people like that, it, it's because they just <laughs> they'll fail and they'll move on to the next thing. Um, and also they're, you know, these types of people when it when it comes to to marketing, it's also they're not they're not um they're 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 willing to change their minds quickly, right? So so I'll use Neil as another example because whenever he presents me data or I present him data, we have strong views, but we're very quick to change our minds if data is presented to us. So um, and I would say the final thing is this. Um, the sooner you start, the better, right? So whether it's starting to create content or your business, because what we've seen with business is that t- typically it takes three years to start to get going with content, probably, you know, one to two years, if you're lucky, maybe three. And so it's just, it's the same thing as investing. It just compounds over time. And most people aren't willing to, to, to let time, uh, let things marinate. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that you said there, but let me rephrase the question. The re- question maybe is like, what makes a mediocre average person who does marketing, digital marketing versus somebody who does it really well. Because I could listen to this and somebody's like, well, why would I hire Eric and his team? I'll just hire cousin Vinny and Vinny will do it. And what what are the differences that you bring to the table that somebody who doesn't know what they're doing or hasn't been doing it long enough or hasn't been playing it, playing at this at a high enough level? What's the difference? Yeah, I would say the biggest difference, if if I'm looking at, um, again, we'll just use the two marketing school people, myself or Neil, it's, we're not just marketers, you have to think like an, like an owner as well, like an owner mentality, meaning that um, you are constantly not just you don't go to a nine to five job, and that's it, right? You're you, like, even when I was working nine to five, I would have side gigs, side hustles on the side, and I would be testing a lot of things on my own. And I, I, I remember when I was broke, I paid $4,000 for an e-commerce magic website, and I learned the value of, you know, choosing your partners and uh, not not trying to change designs or optimize things too quickly, right? But I I, I ate dirt, um, and so you have to be willing to do that. Which is why at Single Green we say we tell people we say, hey, you should have a side gig because if it works out, more power to you. But if it 
by the way, like if it just, you know, continues to generate some additional cash, we're going to learn from that. We're going to benefit from that. So it's the rapid learnings um, and people need to put themselves in that position. Hmm. Okay. All right. So if if I'm just really like enthralled with what you're saying, where do I learn to do what it is that you do? I mean, when you hire people, do they come in from a school or a program that teaches them how to do digital marketing? Or do you pretty much say you have a core set of skills, we're going to take you through the single grain process? Is that what happens? Yeah. So, um, so two things there. A, there is a massive gap in the market. You obviously know there's Lambda school right now. So down the road, the plan is to have marketing school um, with the income share agreement. So to fill that gap. Um, on our side, when we hire, uh, it's more so we're looking for, it depends. If they're more senior, we're looking for the skills already. And then we'll kind of, um, we'll indoctrinate them for the first uh, 30 to 60 days. So we have a policy that says, hey, in the first 30 to 60 days, you actually cannot make any suggestions. You cannot, you basically can't talk. Um, just listen, right? Because oftentimes too many people come in and they bring their baggage. Um, and they, anyway, there's a lot to go there, to go with there. It's just focus on learning. Um, and then for younger people, uh, let's say people starting out, let's say, let's say an intern, um, we will put them through a three month uh, ringer where we don't make them get coffee or anything like that. It's just straight up, you're gonna learn a ton. We have an entire curriculum built out. Um, and then you're going to be doing actual work as you're learning. Um, and we have a very similar curriculum for our leaders, too. So we have a leadership curriculum. Wow. I, who, did you develop this yourself or did somebody on the team help develop this? Yeah. So the the intern one, that was uh, more more so on my side. Uh, the leadership one, I actually um, pulled inspiration from the CEO of Sales Loft. So it's largely his template, but with modifications from my side. Okay. Interesting. All There's right. copying for you again. <laughs> yeah, it is, right? It, it's really not copying. It's like uh, w w the the thing about creativity is your ability to draw from places in which people aren't looking and find the connection to the thing that you are doing, right? So if we're on, on Instagram and everybody's looking at other Instagram posts and just doing the same thing, which we see a lot of, the uh, referred to it as the attack of the clones. <laughs> Somebody does something, picks a certain typeface, and everybody uses the same typeface. It's like, okay, that's kind of um, derivative and not necessarily like, uh, looked upon with with uh, fondness. But if you go yeah. out and you watch a movie and you see a color palette or an interesting way of presenting something and you bring it to Instagram and you adapt it for that, that's really like where people are like, wow, that's really fresh, that's new, it's interesting. It is and it isn't. It's something they saw and it's something they were able to adapt that you couldn't see. And that's where that spark is. And I'm, I'm sure that's really what you're what you're doing, right? You see something, well, but, you're like, way, we need to apply that. Yeah. You know what happened um, when you brought the carousel thing, like when we talked about that, mm -hmm. what happened was I brought that to Neil and we kept talking about it. And all of a sudden you see all these marketers doing the carousels. So that's, <laughs> that's you, like, by the way. Well, and I got it from somebody else. So it's like, that's yeah. just what it is, right? It so we're all moving. kind of learning and growing. It keeps yeah. moving and you want to you want to be able to do that. Okay, so if, if you know, you were saying Neil's running a very successful company. I, I from what I can tell, you're running a very successful company as well. And uh, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions. How, if any, impact has COVID made on the way you run your company, on revenue, on client? And are people like tightening up and they don't want to spend money? What, what is the impact on your business uh, for the last seven years or so? Yeah, great question. So do you want... Oh, seven months, I'm sorry, seven months. Okay, yeah. okay. so uh, COVID, when it first hit, I was, I was really scared. I was like yeah. preparing everything, and I'm sure you were too. Um, but I would say largely because we work on the digital ad side, um, we've, it's been good for us across the board. 
Um, and when I look at other agencies that do not work in when they're like it's like e-commerce or it's um, you know SaaS, they generally do well. So um, it's been a boon. What I will say though is in the very beginning. I learned um, from other entrepreneurs that you need to cut and you need to cut fast and do it all at once. And so I did that. Um, but I would just say that um, and I, I'm glad I did that because it worked out for them longer term and it's better for us long term as well. So, yeah. OK, so you had to make some adjustments right at the beginning. And your advice to other entrepreneurs is don't do it piecemeal. Do do it all at once. Be decisive. That way people aren't panicked like, is it my turn next? And a lot of people who advise owners say the same thing as soon as you know you should cut because it's dipping into whatever um, severance package you might offer them it, it allows them to get on the market quicker than everybody else because when it, the market is really hungry there's not much you can do because all the jobs are gone essentially so cut early cut fast and be very dis, dis, um, decisive right do it quick and more than anything i mean they're looking for leadership i think that time in february i don't know if uh, like I think me being more paranoid in February, I had already started to make preparations, started giving anyone these, everyone these stipends, and everyone's like, he's overreacting. Um, and then boom, mm -hmm. it hits, and it's like, okay, guys, we're shutting everything. I Basically, we shut everything down before the stay-at-home order in California. But mm -hmm. once you start to say that, hey, guys, and I'm sending them weekly newsletters, and we're staying on top of it, we're connecting with everyone individually, I think that they're looking at you for those first 60 to 90 days on like how much is this person going to support us. And I, I think that goes a long way. Yeah. Now, are you guys still working remotely or are you returned to the office? Um, we are going to, we're not going to go back to the office, um, even though it's nice. But uh, yeah, it's it's what I wanted to do over the years. And finally, mm -hmm. you know, it's accelerated. I don't know about you. Well, yeah, I'll answer that in a second. But so did yeah. you give up the lease on your space? Because I think when I went to talk to you, it was a, the building right next door, right? Like yeah. Across the way. Well, I think there's a pending legal battle coming. Okay, so, so we should, I should talk about this. <laughs> no, it's you're fine. I, I think okay. they're gonna have a, their battles with everyone in there. So yeah, right. Yeah. Landlords, people who hold large real estate that are over leveraged, are probably. I, I hate to say this, it's gonna be a huge domino effect. Because I'm a I'm a real uh, like I own property too, so I'm yeah. like, dang, my tenants sweat me too. So it's like, oh, you know, this is gonna be a an economic uh, catastrophe that the ripples of which we're not even fully aware of just yet. So, yeah. Okay. Put that aside. So what happened with us was I was like, we're in education. I wonder how this is going to impact it. I think people still want to learn, especially now, but maybe they're, they're thinking about, can I buy food? Uh, can I keep the heat on? So we were a little concerned. Essentially early on, we just sent everybody a note saying, I think this was just like a week before the stay at home order came down, which was, Everybody get whatever you need from the office, bring it home and work from home. We'll figure this out later. And about a month or two into it, I said, this is it. This is permanent. If you have personal items at the office, go get it. Uh, we're going to have to figure out what else to do with the building. So I, I own the building. So I, I, I can't kick myself out not yet. And nobody's looking for space. So we're, we're trying to use the space in more creative ways. So the entire building has been turned into production studios for basically two people. Nice. Well, I'll tell you what, maybe I'll pay you some rent for, for using that studio. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're setting things up. So hopefully it'll be kind of this media hub and, and we, we just we have to adapt. Right. Yeah. And, and office space. Maybe that wasn't ever such a great idea. And COVID really tested that. You know what would be a good idea? I think, um, you know, there's a lot of these people in Hollywood doing the content houses. Right. So if you had your own version of a content house there. Yeah. Super. 
Yeah, unfortunately, it's just such an expensive content house right now. So we're like, <laughs> what are we going to do? Because I, I should really be leasing the building out if somebody were interested. Uh, that would be the best use of our money. That way I could hire more people to do what we need to do. But if nothing changes and nobody's renting, we're going to have to figure out that content house idea. Okay. So this idea of running ads to help me grow my business is fascinating. When I ran my design service studio, running ads to attract advertising agencies didn't quite click for me. Now, we're talking about traditional advertising and magazines, press releases, uh, sponsoring functions and events and things like that. I could never see the ROI in that because I was thinking they know what this is. People don't hire us based on that. Now, this is a new era where we can do highly focused, targeted ads. If we wanted to spend all our money and focus one big client, we could do that for a really, really long time. So if I run a creative service company, can I use ads like Facebook ads to help me grow? I think it depends on who you're mm -hmm. targeting. So if you're a designer targeting e-commerce, there's a big boom right now, right? Shopify's exploding or Amazon's exploding. Um, so you have a good chance to target people saying, hey, we'll do your creatives for e-commerce and we'll we'll have a productized service for you. That's mm -hmm. one thing I've seen working. Um, I'll, I'll talk to you about the context of us. Um, in general, when we run ads on Google, um, it generally doesn't work. We get a lot of riffraff that comes through. Right. What does work for us, though, just because we target tech is on we run Twitter ads. And so people are like, oh, my God, Twitter's old, whatever. Like right. the smartest people I know hang out on, on Twitter. So I can target SaaS founders. I can target people that have influence there. And I don't need to spend a lot. And we've gotten probably the best quality leads that we've ever gotten. Most of our leads come from SEO and the content that I'm putting out. But when we run ads, um, we're just targeting cold people. Twitter works out well. So I think it's just really important to understand where your audience is hanging out. And then we're not saying directly, hey, come buy our stuff. Come sign up for a free consultation. It's just my face. And we're sharing more content on our website. So it's just go check out more stuff because, you know, those of you that listen to this right now, you love Chris for who he is. And, um, you know, you'll, you're more apt to buy his stuff because this that you're listening to or watching or whatever right now, um, this is a form of nurturing, right? People talk about email nurturing. Um, you keep nurturing people, eventually they're going to become curious and do something. Mm. Okay, okay. So I now that you say this, because I'm on Twitter a lot, and I don't remember if I see ads, but I do see uh, uh, tweets that are promoted. Yeah, Is that what it. you're doing? So it's like, it's part of your content funnel. Mm -hmm. You you put out something that you think is valuable, and then you use Twitter to promote it. And that's uh, targeting tech founders and tech companies, right? So that they, they see that like, oh, this Eric guy is really smart. I really like what he's saying. And then they click on that. They go to your page. There's an article or a video or a podcast and want to listen to it. And then they're like, oh, I didn't know you before, but now you're a person worth knowing. That's what we're talking about, right? Exactly. So the content funnel is the biggest thing, right? You're trying to indoctrinate mm -hmm. people, bring them into your world. And then you can think about, you know, going for the right hook, right? Or going right. for the ask. Yeah. Right. So you're you're doing uh, I think the the Seth Godin model, which is you're asking them to volunteer to become a part of a long term marketing plan, yep. and you're you're spending a little money to get them in first to see who's interested. Please raise your hand. They they're not literally raising their hand, but they're and then they get into this, and then you set up some kind of curriculum. It's like learn this, learn this, and then by the third learning thing, they're probably saying we need this guy and his team to do this for us, kind of like that, right? Okay. Yeah, kind of. It's uh, I would say, you know, when people listen to marketing school, mm -hmm. we're not um, until last week, we actually didn't have any uh, community or course offering. Mm -hmm. um, but it was just we're just going to keep giving away stuff for free. 
and then eventually they'll become so overwhelmed that it's like we need we need the help right and plus neil and myself i'll be the first to say that we aren't necessarily the best when it's forcing a sale right it, we're much better right. at teaching people and mm -hmm. then when they want something sure we can close them then mm -hmm. just so i know the economics of it how much money are you spending a month on running twitter ads for your service agency it's not a lot it's um i think it's like 3,000. So relatively speaking on the other stuff we spend ads for, for ourselves, where, where it mm -hmm. might be a little more like 30, 40 grand. It's, it's like a, it's 10%. So, wow. Okay. And you're saying that's the best ROI aside from SEO. Uh, it's the best ROI in terms of uh, spending on ads. Otherwise mm -hmm. it's too cost prohibitive. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so let's talk about the other thing is SEO, which is really making sure that you can be found for the keywords. And I saw on your site, it's like you're the number one search for really broad key phrases that are the phrase that pays. And so you're applying those strategies to do that. So generally yeah. speaking, how does one rank higher on Google? I know it changes, but just yeah. broad concepts. Yeah. So those of you that might be thinking, oh my God, SEO is dead. Let me be the first to say as long as there is the concept of search, there will always be SEO. People always do that. So um, so the two most important factors when it comes to SEO are content and links. That has not changed since the very beginning. That might change in five years, 10 years, but today it has not changed. Um, and so I'll give you a story here. When I first took over Single Grain, our blog was only getting 4,000 visits a month, right? So um, relatively speaking, now we've ramped it over the years. Now it gets it's it's better now. It's about 350,000 a month. Um, but what we did in the very beginning was I noticed we didn't have much of a cadence, right? So we were publishing very sporadically and um, it wasn't very helpful content and it was very short form. Um, the algorithms now, they, pref they, they go for quality, right? And sometimes quality to them might be longer form and there's, my, there's more keywords in it. You want to write quality content. That's what I'm basically saying. And you want, whether you write let's say you're a first time business owner, maybe you only go for one really freaking good piece once a month, right? Um, that blows everyone's mind or it might be once a quarter or so, right? You don't need to try to compete with the people doing it once a week or once every day. You just don't have those resources yet. But as you stay consistent with that over a 12 to 18 month period and you start to share it with people like you got something really good on design, share it with Chris. If it's really good, he's probably going to say something, right? When people show, send me really good stuff, I say something. Um, and over time, you're going to start to create a mini brand for yourself. Also, you're going to attract links to your website, right? Um, and if those of you that don't have an SEO background, don't don't need to think too much about links initially. Just think about really good stuff, right? And then people are going to cite it. And then what's going to happen is um, the more stuff, good stuff you create, the more links are coming to your website, the more it compounds. You can create more stuff. Um, and then whatever you tend to write automatically starts to rank. So because we have a lot of links and content on our website, whenever we publish things around marketing, because Google sees our website as a marketing website, guess what? We rank for it, to, to Chris's point. Mm, okay, excellent. So the fundamentals of it is high quality content that teaches people don't sell them anything and do it fairly consistently, whatever cadence or pace that you can do it at, that's really going to drive engagement. Because three times people show up and then there's a long gap, you lose all that momentum. This is the compound effect. You got to show up consistently, consistently, and that could be once a day. It could be once a week, once a month, but you got to just do it on a regular basis. So make that well, a priority. Cap, right? I would add, um, mm -hmm. so th there's that. And then in the very beginning, like very, very beginning, you're probably spending this 80-20 rule, 20% time on the content, the other 80% you're promoting. You better be promoting the hell out of it, right? 
reaching out to the right people, using a tool like Uber Suggest to find out people that have been talking about similar topics. You can use a tool like, you can use Twitter's advanced search, beautiful tool. So when you say promote, what do you mean? So let's say I write the ultimate guide to design in 2021. Okay. And I'll like reach that. out to design influencers such as yourself and, mm -hmm. and, and other ones and saying, hey, um, guys, I put this together. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on it, right? Um, and then you might respond back and I'll be like, um, hey, like, um, would you mind would you mind linking or tweeting it, right? So I'll, maybe I'll have a soft ask and a hard ask because the link is, is annoying. Um, and your conversion rate might be, you know, 10, 10% or so if you're lucky, but you are in, in effect, you're begging, but at least you're giving some type of value. Right. Okay. Just for clarification, my ask is very hard. I do work out. He said ask. It's oh, right? so a soft ask no, it, and a hard sounds, ask. So my, my ask sounds like ass. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. Even if you pronounce it 100% perfect, it's like, what? What did he say? <laughs> All right. So it was an ask with a K. Yeah. So he's being very clear. And sometimes he's also asking indirectly, like, hey, would you consider it? Okay. I totally get it. Um, I want to ask you about stats. Can we talk about stats? Yeah. Okay, and if I ask a question you don't want to answer, you're like, just say, nah, and we'll edit it out. Sure. Okay, so first one is, there are two podcasts, like you have all this time in the world, so you're running two podcasts, one with Neil and one on your own called Leveling Up, and the other one's called Marketing School. And and I think Leveling Up is newer, is that right? Leveling Up's older, it used to be called it's Growth older. Everywhere, that's seven Growth years everywhere. old. I see, okay. Uh, so you're into, uh, what is it, a couple of thousand episodes between the two? Yeah. Okay. So can I ask you, cause I'm just going to like talk shop with you in terms of podcasts. Yeah. I've only got one podcast, one podcast and it feels like it's a lot of work to make. Okay. You're in the thousands. I'm in the hundreds. Like we just crossed a hundred episode. What kind of stats can you share with us? I noticed the episodes are shorter and I think that's by design and it's smart. You can release more content. It's not going to kill you to make very, very smart. I get it. Uh, what kind of, where are you ranked and, and what are you yeah. uh, in terms of what category? Just give me some of the stats, please. I'll share all the stats. Yeah. Okay. So, um, we are number four, we hover between number four and number six for marketing in all of Apple. So number four out of a hundred taught the top 100. Um, and then for leveling up, um, I think I'm in the top 200 or so if I'm lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, and then in terms of, I think you asked about downloads too, right? Yeah. So, on average, uh, so we get about 1.5 million downloads a month. And but I'll caveat: obviously, we have a daily episode, so usually we'll average about mm. 25,000 uh, downloads per episode. Mm -hmm. um, and then for leveling up, which I actually prefer the, the audience of leveling up more because they're um, more techie people, um, also more affluent. But uh, mm -hmm. so they that one's about uh, 80,000 downloads a month. Uh, 80,000 downloads per month or yeah. per episode? Per month. Per month, okay. So, so I, I see you're. This must be like some um, like the insider's uh, guide to podcasting because you're the second podcaster per person I've talked to who does daily episodes. But that person's episodes are even shorter than yours, so they'll do really one long recording and just chop it up and just do it that way. So you you see an advantage to that? Yeah. So when we first started the podcast, um, we were thinking, okay, everyone's doing these interview podcasts right now. How do we zig where other people are zagging? So the, the thesis was, again, you have two people that understand marketing really well, but they're also both operators. And we can just nerd out on stuff the whole time. We don't we don't really do many interviews or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then let's just do it daily for five to 10 minutes. And that at the time, four years ago, was novel. Nobody else was really doing that. Um, and we just found that, oh, my God, it just it's compounding a lot faster. So why not keep doing it? I see. 
And by the way, like I'm, I'm about to do two more podcasts now that I just got invited to do. And the reason for that, the thesis here is um, I had a guy named Anthony Pompliano a couple weeks ago. He was like, look, I'm like, what do you do every day? He's all I do is I create content because it brings me deal flow. I get to meet cool people and it's leverage. And I'm like, holy crap, I should just be focused on creating content. Mm -hmm. And how much prep do you do in terms of writing, preparing, producing, uh, researching for each one of these episodes? Yeah. So I remember when I interviewed you on, on my podcast mm -hmm. here, um, we, so for you, for, for interviews, for leveling up, I'll spend probably uh, at least 30 minutes to an hour, if not more preparing, um, just to research how the, how the guest is. And then for marketing school, we do no prep. The only prep we do is the headlines. That's the hardest part. Mm. So you, uh, you and Neil will just get together and like, what's on your mind today? So what will happen is my, my team will put together 15 headlines and then we'll just edit the headlines and then it's basically whatever we want to talk about. I see. You write the headline first and then that drives the conversation. Mm -hmm. Okay. And are you doing this in, in, in a true partnership where Neil has to like come in like, here are the things I think I want to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's driven by what we both are comfortable talking about. So um, that's why I, I, whatever I want to talk about, I moved over to leveling up now. Um, I see. But yeah. I see. Okay, that's great. And then I noticed on both the podcasts, you run ads at the beginning. And so I was like, okay, this is interesting. Uh, and are, are you making a lot of money running ads on your I'll, podcast? I'll tell you how much we make. I think that's where it's I going. I want to know. Right. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, these numbers are, are public. So um, for marketing school, um, the deal we have is for $720,000 a year and that for the ads. Um, and then for leveling up, it's basically like uh, close to a hundred grand a year. So mm -hmm. yeah. when you say the deal, are you working with a broker to sell the ads? No, we went, we went, uh, we got lucky. We went direct. We, it was actually that listens to the podcast. So, oh, wow. So you brokered the deal yourself then from somebody yes. who is a fan and it's like, we need to advertise on you. Yeah. I love that. Wow. That's really cool. So, okay. That, I mean, Somebody who's listening to this could be just really content with just doing $100,000 a year doing podcasts. So maybe this is one formula. So in the spirit of what Eric has shared, if you see a framework here, <laughs> you could borrow it, modify it, and apply it to your own niche. You might do really, really well. And obviously, you're a very smart business person. You've got your hands in many different things. Very successful person. Now, how can people find out about, A, the book, and more about Single Grain or or, or the uh ClickFlow website. Tell yeah. us. Yeah. I, I think the best way to, to, to find all the stuff. Uh, so go to levelingup.com. You can get a free chapter of the book or you can just go to your favorite online retailer, leveling up Eric Sue. And then if you want all the other stuff, just follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Eric Sue and I'll, I'll respond. Um, and with whatever you need, if you have questions around marketing, business, whatever, happy to help. Perfect. My name is Eric Sue and you are listening to the future. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? Head over to thefuture.com slash hey Chris and ask away. 
We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.